Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Omicron is spreading quickly in many parts of Canada. I'm urging Canadians across the country to please carefully consider and adjust your holiday plans to minimize risks and maximize... Now is not the time to travel. Once you have left the country, once you are stranded, once once you are sick... There is little the Canadian government can do to help you. Let's take Ontario as an example. Daily new COVID cases more than doubled in less than a week. The Omicron variant transmits fast enough that it is already the dominant variant in Ontario. To further strengthen Ontario's response to Omicron and limit opportunities for transmission, the province is applying a 50% capacity limit in indoor public settings, such as restaurants, bars, gyms, and finally, for informal social gatherings, there will be a limit of 10 people indoors and 25 people outdoors. These measures come into effect on Sunday, December 19, 2021, at 12.01 a.m. With case numbers growing so fast and new policies coming from provincial and federal governments, the Globe science reporter, Ivan Semenik, is here to break down how Omicron is different from the Delta variant and what the science tells us about gathering during the holidays. This is The Decibel. Ivan, thank you for joining us today. It's good talking to you. So we are recording this Friday afternoon and things are changing pretty quickly here, but let's break down what we actually know about Omicron so far. Can we start with what scientists are studying about this variant? Sure. As before, you know, there are sort of three main questions that uh, researchers are pursuing to try to understand how this variant differs in its behavior from others. So, you know, just broadly speaking, you've got the transmissibility of the variant compared to previous versions. We've got uh, the question of vaccine breakthrough or vaccine escape. How well can it evade uh, the vaccines that have been used up till now? And finally, there's the question of severity. Uh, Is there a change in the nature of the disease that it causes? All of these three things, of course, feed into the one thing that really matters in terms of the public health response, which is how many more people are likely to be in hospital as a result of this coming or this uh, Omicron wave that's, I guess it's fair to say now it's in progress. It's not just coming. Mm-hmm. So let's break down each one of those there. So we'll, we'll start with the first one that you mentioned, transmissibility. This is about how easily and, and quickly Omicron can spread then. Research is fairly early here, but is there anything specifically that you've seen from scientists that I guess give us some very clear ideas about just how transmissible this is? I think there's lots of evidence now that suggests this is a more transmissible version of COVID-19 or the virus that causes COVID-19. Since the beginning of the pandemic, you know, people have gotten used to this idea of a reproduction number. You know, how many cases is one case of the virus likely to create? So if the reproduction number is two, for every person who has a case that with no measures taken, that could lead to two more people and then four more people and then eight more people and so on. So that's what you get from a reproduction number of two. And of course, you can try to bring down that number with public health measures, with other things that are meant to sort of reduce contact between individuals. So, uh, you know, the current estimates for Omicron are pretty sobering. I mean, we're seeing numbers between 3.7 and 4.5, various estimates. So in, in a sense, 
we're seeing something that's not that different from what we had with Delta, except happening in, it's like if you're watching a, a video, you know, at double time. One of the more concerning stories about Omicron that is out there is about that holiday party in Oslo, Norway, where half of the guests, um, all of whom were vaccinated, contracted COVID after one person showed up carrying Omicron. It's also important to remember that uh, COVID-19 has has kind of low dispersion, which which means that in addition to kind of spreading through the population, it's very uneven in the way it spreads. You know, most cases actually don't produce another case, whereas a small number of cases will produce a very large number. With COVID-19, we've seen all throughout the pandemic this uh, high number of super spreader events, and that really indicates that low dispersion, the fact that the outbreaks are very patchy, which makes it really hard to predict and really hard to control or even to know how to advise people. You know, because people will find, look, we had a party, a bunch of us got together, no one got COVID, everything was fine. And yet the same scenario somewhere else could lead to large numbers of cases. The Norwegian event, I think, is very interesting and revealing. You know, this is a, a Christmas party, mostly people between 30 and 50 years old, most if not all double vaccinated, and yet 73% ended up contracting COVID-19. No hospitalizations, I think, so far in that case. But still, it gives you a sense that uh, there's been quite an erosion in um, the effectiveness of the vaccines because of the properties of this of this variant. Another thing that we often hear when we are talking about transmissibility is this thing called the, the doubling time for Omicron or for any variant, the time it takes for number of cases to double. Compared to Delta, what is Omicron looking like? Whereas with Delta, you know, it was a matter of several days uh, to weeks when we were looking at even the the earlier variants, it's just down to a few days with with Omicron. I think by December 10th, experts in the UK were already saying by the middle of the month, this variant will take over as uh, in terms of being the majority of cases, you know, and that was just a matter of days away. So that's, of course, what people are concerned about just because it increases the likelihood of a sharp spike or surge of cases into hospital. I think even instinctively now, people are starting to become more cautious. They're changing their holiday plans or kind of pre-holiday get-togethers and so on. Relative to other parts of the world, Canada actually has fairly high vaccination rates. What does that mean for Omicron transmission in the country? Will it be any different uh, the high vaccination rate will definitely help us because even if there there are lots of breakthrough infections, the evidence suggests that the chance of severe disease is less. It certainly means that people who are not vaccinated still remain at very, very high risk. And if this is a variant that can move fairly easily through the vaccinated population, you know, a population that's gotten used to starting to open up again, I think what that means is the variant is going to find those remaining, you know, 20% or so of Canadians who are not vaccinated in one form or another. It will be easier for them to be infected than it would have been even with Delta. And we're seeing this in other countries that the surge begins first really with those who are not vaccinated. And so, okay, so given all of this, what should we be doing now in terms of masking? Because I think many of us are, are very used to wearing masks now, but can we continue to rely on the same types of masks that we've been using this far? 
Well, I just got my order of KN95 masks delivered, so I know I've been feeling like the things that used to work for the earlier versions of COVID-19 may not work so well with Omicron. You know, if it's a more transmissible version of the virus, it that just means every time you're exposed to one of those virus particles, the opportunity for an infection is higher. Okay, so we've we've talked about transmissibility, which was the first factor you mentioned. Um, the second trait you mentioned, Ivan, is vaccine escape. Can you just remind us again exactly what that means? When you take the vaccine, especially after the two doses, what's happening is you're training your your immune system to recognize the virus, you know, should real infection occur. That includes uh, having antibodies that can intercept the virus. But those antibodies have a specific shape, almost like a Lego block kind of shape that is meant to fit in to certain contours of the spike protein uh, of the coronavirus, basically to try to latch on to to the virus before it can fix itself onto a cell and and try to enter. So um, if because this virus has a somewhat different shape, those antibodies may not be attaching as well, they may not be able to stop infection as well. That's really where you get these breakthrough infections where we know on average, you know, what the efficacy of the different vaccines is or are, but that changes over time. You know, there's some, there's been some immune waning and also it varies from individual to individual. So that means there's always a chance, even if you're vaccinated under any circumstances, that you could still get an infection. What has happened, though, is that, you know, the vaccines are clearly showing their ability to sort of blunt the infection, even if they can't stop an infection, so that the chance of a severe infection is much less. But overall, we're seeing that two doses seems not to be enough, perhaps even in the majority of cases, when exposed to to Omicron. And this is why there's been such a push for boosters. It does seem that, you know, that third dose uh, does seem to raise your immune response to the point where, you know, this is very approximate, but, you know, but perhaps three doses with Omicron is not that different than two doses with Delta, for example. So we're coming up fast on Christmas now, and and people have plans to get together for other celebrations as well. What are the experts saying about how safe it is to gather with others right now? The information on what we should be doing over the holidays is sort of changing day by day, but it's all moving in the same direction. Reduce the number of contacts. You know, prioritize those contacts that are most important to you and try to reduce elsewhere. You know, different provinces have different guidelines about this, and probably we're going to see more of that evolve, uh, even in the days leading up to Christmas and beyond. It's back to sort of where we were in the first year of the pandemic, which is just think about every single contact and how much can you reduce the possibility of transmission, either by not being indoors, masking, keeping some distance, and also, you know, where applicable, making use of rapid tests and uh, other means of determining whether someone might be infected. Ivan, what have experts told you about how their holiday plans are changing now? As I speak to people, I am also asking them how they are viewing this, how it's affecting their own personal plans. And by and large, people are saying that 
they're trying to reduce the contact. Certainly people are not making plans to travel to any degree and in some cases are planning events where they can either move outside or have rapid testing. But early on, it's hard to say what early on is with this, things are changing so fast. But even in early December, you know, I was hearing from from experts who are following this closely, and especially those who are in touch with what's happening in South Africa, that this was not going to be a normal Christmas. And uh, so we should be moving that expectation off the table. We've we've heard a, a lot of reports, I think, that Omicron might be more mild compared to the Delta variant. Um, but we've also seen public health experts kind of cautioning against that assumption. So what does what does the science say about how severe it is? The science is still very early on this. Uh, it's intriguing, but it's early. We certainly had some indications from South Africa that it seemed to be that with this increase in the Omicron variant, there were fewer hospitalizations uh, on average. But there are lots of caveats to that. The South African population is quite different from the Canadian population, both in terms of the demographics. It's, you know, it's a younger population on average and also a population that has had higher exposure to COVID from from previous infection. So there's some reasons to think, okay, maybe South Africa is a bit different. Um, But also more recently, you know, even this week with the uh, science table here in Ontario, you know, people pointing out that we are starting to see uh, a climb in hospitalizations in South Africa. Of course, hospitalizations, especially severe cases, are a lagging indicator, right? First, you get lots of cases, and then only later, do you get the severe cases? Because in some cases, those takes, take weeks to develop. So it's a bit too early to say just how severe this is. Having said that, there are some really interesting clues. There was a study that got a lot of attention, uh, not peer-reviewed and obviously based on limited data, but a group in Hong Kong looking at uh, some of their patients with the Omicron variant and seeing that that variant was more, uh, had higher presence in the upper airways as opposed to down in the lungs. And again, they also said this is preliminary, but, you know, compared to Delta, you know, if, if Delta, you know, rests deep in the lungs, and this is true even for, for earlier versions of, of COVID-19, you know, getting down into the lower airways, down into the lungs is where you might increase the chances of, of a more severe outcome. Whereas if, if the variant is infecting primarily in the uh, higher up in the airways before it gets into the lung, uh, maybe that lessens the chances of severe disease. So they were positing that as one possible factor in why we might see fewer severe cases, but probably not the only factor. And of course, it's still early days. It might be causing a more mild infection. But what you're saying, though, it's, is that it still could have an overall impact on the healthcare system that could be quite, quite drastic then. Is, is that right? Absolutely. So people are making calculations for themselves and their families kind of based on individual risk when they think about, okay, how much uh, more easily does this variant transmit? How more likely is it that it will break through the vaccines? What are the chances of getting severe disease? But uh, these are all sort of little knobs that you can almost imagine like they're being tuned, you know, and the end result is what's the overall effect across the population on the number of cases that are heading to the hospital. And certainly the high transmission and the potential for a vaccine escape, and because the case numbers are climbing so rapidly, that can outweigh the possibility of a less severe disease, even that, even though we're not even 
sure how possible that is. And, and so the overall effect can still be a very rapid increase in the number of cases in hospital. And, and of course, the real, the real thing is to, to try to reduce the number of those severe cases and especially to reduce the rate so that they don't overwhelm the healthcare system. So everyone needs to think not just about their own risk, but about trying not to contribute to that larger problem, because in the end, we're all affected if we can't access those services when we need them. So what is it about this variant, uh, at least according to the the early data, that seems to make it more transmissible and, and perhaps more mild of an infection? Wherever the answer lies, it all has to do with the number of mutations to the genome of this particular variant. But overall, there are more than 50 mutations across the entire genome of the variant. And in the spike protein, there are over 30 mutations. Uh, And that's roughly three times more than we've seen with uh, any of the previous variants of concern. One interesting speculation that uh, came up in one of my interviews was that you have to ask yourself, how, how did this variant come by so many different mutations? So far, what we've learned about these, these variants of concern is the theory is that they arise in immunocompromised individuals, people who are unable to shake the, the virus completely. Uh, maybe their immune system is partially effective at beating back the virus, but not entirely effective. And what that tends to do is select versions of the virus within that one individual, versions of the virus that are more effective. And then they uh, are the ones that end up getting transmitted to others. And at this point, unfortunately, we're sort of in the realm of speculation because the data are still coming in. And some of the studies that uh, will really tell us what's going on and what all of these changes are really doing are, are, are still going to take months. Months meaning kind of the springtime before we, we really have a sense? Sure. And I think that's, again, just to circle back to where we started and the fact that uh, what really matters here is keeping people out of hospital. And if people feel like they're getting a bit of a whiplash from all of these COVID measures, and first they said I could do this, now I can't do this, now I'm supposed to do this. Part of the reason is because there are enough unknowns that people who are in charge of making public health decisions realize that if they wait for all the evidence to come in, it will be too late. So they, uh, a lot of these measures may be precautionary. And if we're lucky, if we're lucky, maybe it'll turn out that it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. Ivan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Nainika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show and Michal Stein edited this episode. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Ivan Semenik. You can find more of his work at theglobeandmail.com. You can also email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at RW. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.